Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all of the sexually immoral. Marriage should be honored by all. And this morning I want to speak about what I believe is the most important part of a family. Now, I know in this room today, and, and God knows that I struggle so often when I am praying and preparing a message like this. And I want to tell you why. And I want to be real transparent with you because you need to know my heart. You need to understand why I say what I say and do what I do. But I know that this morning I'm in this room. There are people watching via live stream. There are people who have gone through some really painful situations in their life. Some of you have been divorced, and there is, there is no condemnation coming from me to you. None at all. I don't know your story. I don't know what happened. So I would never dare in any way pass judgment against anyone based on what happened in their life. Some are victims. Some have just made some major mistakes in their life. Whatever it may be, there's still mercy and grace at the foot of the cross, and Jesus loves us just the way we are, and he does not pass judgment towards us. Please hear my heart on that. Please. Number two, there are people in the room here today that you are single. And, and you pray and you're asking God for that right person in your life. And I, there, there's probably nothing that I really can say to you other than to say that Jesus, as the scriptures tell us, you know, I thought about it this morning before I came to church as I was praying that, you know, and, and I don't want to just say, when I say it, there's nothing I could say, I don't want to say something that's petty. I don't want to say something just to try to make you feel better. And you're going to say, Pastor Steve, you need to say that because you're the pastor, you know, because you're trying to make everybody feel good. No, no, no. I'm going to tell you biblical truth. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, there will not be marriage. Now, you think, I'm thinking, you know, my wife really does not like that. She, ha she actually wants to have a conversation with Jesus when she gets to heaven. Say, what do you mean I'm not going to be married to my husband anymore? You know, and she just doesn't like to read that. But you see, the ultimate marriage, listen to me, the ultimate connection and union, union is not with another person. The ultimate union is with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that he will come and he will be the bridegroom. There's only going to be one bridegroom. There's only going to be one bride. There's only going to be one marriage. And it's going to be in heaven when we're united to God. We're united to Jesus in a way we've never known before in the history of mankind and beyond. And the truth of the matter is at that point, we are not going to need the same kind of relationship because Jesus is our bridegroom. He's coming back for you and I. And we are united with him in marriage. Somebody say amen. Glory to God. Now, when I peered over, I just saw the Koreas as well. God bless you. Good to see you in church this morning. But I do want to talk to you for a few moments because I also know that there are young people in this room. There are, there are, there are young adults in this room. There are teenagers in this room. And I really want to set the record straight. And I really want to tell you what the Word of God says so that you will have a good foundation in your life. So that you will start your life on the right foot. 
And for every one of us, there is incredible grace as we hear this message. So let me pray for a moment. Lord, I pray right now, God, for grace, Lord. I pray, oh God, for the grace to receive this message in love. God, I pray for the grace to understand and learn, God. Lord, no matter where we are in life, God, your word speaks to us and tells us that we're your beloved, God, and that you love us with an everlasting love, and you have a plan for our life, and it's big. So open our ears, Lord, and our hearts to respond to this message. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said. This morning, I want to speak to you about recapturing the sacredness of marriage, recapturing the sacredness of marriage. Now, I'm not sure because we were running around all weekend. If anyone got a picture, I asked the sound people to get a picture of my wife and I when we got married. I'm not sure if that happened. If it did, you could pop it up and you could see. If it's not there, let me explain to you what I looked like. I had lots of hair. Just, just lots of hair. I was 20 years old when I got married. And I got married in this church, Bethlehem Assembly of God. I walked down this aisle when I got married. And I will never forget that people told me, why were you not smiling when you got married? Now, the first thing, and I want to be honest with you, the first thing is that I believed with all my heart that marriage was so sacred. It was such a sacred moment that I really honestly believed that I couldn't smile because at that moment, I believed this is the most sacred thing I will do in my entire life except for the fact that I would accept Jesus as my Savior. This was the most important decision of my life. And it wasn't something to, to enter into lightly. But, you know, as the pastor says, we have to enter into it with soberness, with understanding of what you're doing. So the first reason why I didn't smile coming down the aisle is because I believed it was a very sacred, sacred moment. And I was serious about the vow that I was about to make. And I want to say to Matthew, smile, 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 smile. Because if you don't smile, they're going to all think that, I put a gun to the back of your, your back and forced you to do this. So smile even if you're scared, all right? This, the second reason why I didn't smile, because I was scared. And you might say, you're not supposed to be scared when you get married. You're supposed to be happy. You're supposed to be joyful. And I was. There was all these emotions were were actually just converging at one moment. I was thinking to myself, this is the most awesome moment of my life. This beautiful woman I'm going to marry for the rest of my life. Man, she is hot. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, you know, and, and, and that, that was an emotion. But there was another emotion that was happening inside of me. And that emotion was, is this is going to happen one time in my life. One time. And God, with your grace and strength, help me to make sure that I get this right. Because this is so dear and so important to your heart that I want to please you, God. I don't only want to please you when I preach the gospel, but I want to please you when I love my wife. I want to please you when I have a family. Lord, I want to do this the right way. Do you understand that? And for 34 years, I've been working on this. And some days it's easy 
to love my wife. <laughs> Some days it's just easy to love my wife. Some days it's not so easy. But it's the understanding of the word. It's the understanding of scripture that gives me the courage every day to wake up and say, I'm going to do this thing one day at a time because God has given me the grace to love somebody unconditionally, without conditions. That God, he can give me the grace to enter into a sacred vow, a sacred covenant with someone to say for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, pasta fazul or no pasta fazul. Listen, it's so critical to understand what God's word says. And so the truth is there has never been a generation that truly, truly needs to understand the beauty and majesty and power and precision and, and, and preciseness and the glory of marriage the way that God designed it to be than this culture that we live in. Some cultures in history have really respected the importance of the permanence of marriage more than others. But some like our own today have such a low, casual, take-it-or-leave-it attitude towards marriage as to make the biblical vision seem ludicrous and most, to most people think it's crazy to think that you could actually be in a covenant relationship and love somebody from the day you get married to the day that you go to heaven. Such was the case in Jesus' day. But Jesus, though, he, he counteracts that with a powerful statement in Matthew chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 19. In fact, I want you to put something there. I want you to yellow it out. I want you to remember that. I want you to photocopy it. I want you to put it somewhere where you'll always remember Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, verse 1 he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and, and he healed them there. And some Pharisees came to him to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, this is Jesus speaking now, this is our Lord and Savior. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. Everybody say male and female. So they no longer will be two, but one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no person, man, individual separate. Everybody say, no one should separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were so hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another wife or woman commits adultery. Strong words. 
Strong words. And I know a lot of pastors don't want to preach this anymore because we live in a society that doesn't want to hear this anymore. We live in a society that wants to do whatever we want to do and get away with it. And the truth is there is an entire generation who have chosen just to simply live together, to engage in sex, have babies, but not make lifelong commitments in that marriage. You know, I went to Israel on a tour just a couple, about a month ago, and, and then we went from Israel to Rome. We were on a tour, an educational tour, and, and, and I was so saddened, and, uh, and I'm not trying to judge anybody, but, but, but I was sitting and talking to the tour guy, a fine young man. He, he was a wonderful young man. We had a great conversation. He was probably in his late 20s, maybe early 30s. And, uh, and so we got into talking about our family, you know, and I was bragging on my family, and I was saying how long that I was married to my wife for 34 years, and he looked at me and said, impossible, you look too young, and I like that, you know, and, 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 and we were talking about our children, and I, was, and I, and I obviously pulled out my phone and, and showed everybody my little granddaughter, you want to see a picture of my granddaughter, and, and, um, and, and we had a great conversation, and then he pulled out his picture of his little son, and I said, wow, what a beautiful little boy. How long have you been married? He said, no, 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 we're not married. We just live together. And I said, so when do you think you're going to get married? No, 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 I, I, that's not important. It's, it's not, it's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out later on. We just, we just, we just, this is convenient to live together. And I thought to myself, that little boy should never have to feel like at any moment the dad could say, listen, this is just not working out. This is not just this is not, this relationship is is too hard. This little boy should not have to feel as if at one point or another daddy is going to walk out because it just didn't work out. You see, the only way a child can grow up and feel that sense of security in his life, in their life, is to know daddy is committed to mommy and mommy is committed to daddy and the family's committed to each other. And no matter what goes on, we're gonna stay together, we're gonna pray together. We're going to laugh together. We're going to cry together. We're going to work it out. We're going to work it out because it's not about us. It's about his glory and it's about other people. My God. Please forgive me if I get so passionate about this. And so for the, for the sake of families that are being ripped apart in the kingdom and, and children, I, I want us today to recapture the sacredness of marriage. Why? Because marriage is so sacred to God. And that's what really counts is marriage is sacred to God. Why? Because number one, I want you to write this down real quick. Marriage is God's design. Marriage is God's design. We didn't think it up. But 6,000 plus years ago, God decided this is the best for society. This is the best for the world. This is the best for eternity. So God designed it. How did God design it? The Bible says that God created man from the dust of the earth. And then he noticed and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I will give him a help meet. I will give him someone that will come alongside of him. That word help me in the, in the Hebrew actually means to come alongside of, to complement, to complete. And so the Bible says that God put Adam to sleep. He gave him anesthesia and put him to sleep. 
And while he was asleep, he took one of his ribs because he wanted Adam to know that this woman was from his bone, his flesh. And that's why Adam said, this woman is now my bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. God's design, God's way of doing it, that he took uh, Eve out from Adam and made a woman. And the Bible says then he, when, when he woke Adam up, Adam looked at the woman and said, wow, man, that is me. Wow. And that's why we call her woman. Wow, man. <laughs> so I want you to go to your wife after service and say, wow, man, you hot. <laughs> Let's try it right now. Go ahead. Go ahead and do it right now. Go ahead. I'm telling you, get some brownie points for that one. But it was God's design to create woman from man. And notice what God's word tells us, that they should. So here's the design. God creates from Adam. Then God, listen, then God says, here's a woman, and she's going to bring completion in your life because this woman is going to be the antidote to your loneliness. The Bible says that God showed him all the animals, all the animals, and Adam said, no, 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 can't talk, can't communicate, can't relate. I need somebody who can understand me. I need somebody. And so for thousands of years now, we're working on women understanding men. I know. I get it. I get it. You're saying, what happened, Pastor Steve? What happened? But the Bible says that Woman was created to become an antidote to, to loneliness for man. That she would come alongside of the man and be his helper. That he would love his wife in such a way that he would give his life for his wife. It was a, it's a beautiful thing. And notice the design goes on. The Bible says, and now there are two, not one, but two. Out of Adam comes Eve. And yet now God says, now that you are two, I want you again to be joined to be one flesh. One flesh. What an incredible, what an incredible plan. And so God creates, and I don't need, I don't need to get graphic, but God creates male and female in such a way that only a male and a female can be joined together in his unbelievable design, he could, they could be joined together for the sake that they would be one flesh. And when a man and a woman comes together in intimacy, they look at each other straight in their face. That's why it's intimacy. Into me you can see. So that they come together as one design, as one flesh, so that they can do what? So the Bible says that they can carry on. They can carry on. They can carry on the design of God so that they can procreate as God says and now I want you to come together as one flesh and I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply and I want you to take my beautiful design and I want you to pass it on from one generation to the next generation I want you to make it so so that I can procreate the world with people that look like me because they're created in my very image so marriage is God's design it's the doing of God 
It's the way that God planned it to be. But it's also God's definition. You see, and today, there's an attack on the, the definition of marriage. And make no mistake, this is not a casual thing. This is not, this is not a small issue. And that's why pastors at times, they can get very passionate about it. Because it's not a small issue. Because if you're a discerning person and you walk by the Spirit and you really know the Word of God as the Bible says that we are to divide up the Word of truth so that we can be pleasing to God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed so that we can read Genesis and we can read all of the Scriptures all the way to Revelation and we can recognize that there's nowhere in the Scripture, ever in the Scripture, that there is any other definition of marriage than one man and one woman coming together to be fruitful and multiply. Please hear my heart. I'm not trying to be just judgmental. I'm not trying to say and cast stones at people. I'm just telling you that God made it the way he did for a reason and he made it good. The Bible says he created all things and then he said it was good and why are we messing around with something that God made so good? Because the enemy knows that if he can tear apart God's design, if he can redefine what marriage is, if he can redefine the family, then he can rip apart the fabric of society. And little by little, year after year, he, he's not in a hurry. Listen to me. The enemy's never in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. He'll do it year after year. He'll chip away and chip away and chip away at the definition of marriage because he wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our civilization. He wants to destroy our families. And so little by little, he'll just put those thoughts that will become strongholds. And you know what a stronghold is? A stronghold is a thought that becomes a way of living. And a way of living always reaps the same consequences over and over and over again. And this country believes, America believes, that they can redefine marriage and they can redefine the family. And it's not going to come back to destroy our country. And friend, this is the most serious issue that is facing our country today. It's not the economy. I know it's important. And I know one president said, it's about the economy, stupid. But no, it's not about the economy. It's about the family. It's about the marriages of this country. It's about the children. It's about our society. It's about our society. Hallelujah. And so marriage is God's design. But it's also God's definition. God defined it. It was God, the supreme creator, who created in such a way, God created man and woman in his own image. In every way, physically, woman would possess the genetic makeup to complete Adam emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically. It was God's supreme creation. God created this way, and he defined it. And then God said, one man... One woman being joined together for three reasons. To cure man's loneliness. We talked about that. Two, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. 
If either of them falls down, one can pick the other up. But pity is the one who falls and has no one to pick them up. I, I have to tell you, I have known my wife for 37 years. And no, there's nobody in the world that's a better friend to me than my wife. My wife knows my intimate fears. My wife knows the things that embarrass me. My wife knows the things that frustrate me. My wife knows the very heart of who I am. And there have been times when I felt like I couldn't get out of bed, but God gave me a wife to help me to get out of bed. Glory to God. In fact, sometimes she turns over the mattress and tells me to get out of bed. <laughs> I said, I don't want to go to work. She said, you got to go to work. I don't want to go to work. You got to go to work. No, why do I have to go to work? Because you're the pastor and you got to preach. <laughs> She's there like nothing else. Marriage was created for companionship of two people who can know everything about each other, who can share the deepest of intimacy. They shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, it says, and were not ashamed. That is so critical. That is so important. God put that there for a reason. And the man and the woman were naked and they were not ashamed. In other words, they saw each other without any covering. They saw each other without any pretense. They saw each other for who they were, and they were not ashamed. And the Bible says because of sin that came into the world, selfishness, because of sin, they covered themselves because they felt guilty and ashamed. And they were no longer intimate like they were at one time, just totally, totally transparent. This, inst this intimacy is at the very core, it's the most powerful degree of no shame, everything uncovered. So Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 19, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I call it the leaving the cleaving and the weaving process, the leaving. That when we, when we come into a covenant relationship, the reason why I wasn't smiling, the reason why I was afraid when I got married at 20 years old is because I had to leave everything behind in the sense that now I'm leaving my mother's home. I didn't grow up with a dad. But one of the most scariest things in my life when I was 19, 20 years old, is to leave mom. Why? Because I was attached to mom. I loved mom. Mom was everything. She was my world to me. I looked up to her. She, she gave me that sense of boldness and courage and security. But I was leaving that to make my wife number one, everyone else number two, three, whatever it was. But she become leaving means that I make her one. And then the, the cleaving means that I, I'm, I'm, I'm apprehending and cleaving to my wife and I'm going to hold on for the rest of my life and the weaving is to learn how to live together. The weaving. <laughs> the weaving. The weaving is the challenging part. Learning how to get along with one another. My wife and I, and I've said this a million times over, if you know anything about my wife, listen to me, and a lot of you really don't see my wife a whole lot here on the platform. My wife works at the church. She's, she is in the bookkeeping department, not only that, but she works for the school. She sits on boards and committees. 
She helps me with everything. She is my rock. She helps me with all of my missionary trips. She helps me with everything. She is right there by, by my side. But she said to me, Stephen, the day that you make me stand on the platform and speak is the day you die. My, my wife is the complete opposite for me. Complete. My wife does not like to be in large crowds. My wife does not like to be on the platform. My wife does not like to speak in public. My wife is a one-person kind of, let's have a conversation, deep conversation. And I like to speak on platforms. I like to be in front of crowds. I like crowds. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't get two people that are more temperamentally, personality-wise, different than one another. But we are the same. We are the same in our core values we are the same in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the same in our commitment to one another. We've got much more in common than we have different when it comes to being at the very heart and core of the, the glory of God and the understanding of marriage and the understanding of family. And man, that's the thing that I love about my wife. My wife, I don't know if everybody understands this and knows this, but my wife is deaf. She can't hear. And there are many nights and there are many times when we go to different events that she can't hear the speaker. And it's very hard for her. My wife cannot hear. You take her, her, uh, her hearing aid off, she can't hear anything. In fact, there are many times when I'm talking to her and she shuts it off. <laughs> That's probably why we get along really well, too. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. Yes, dear. And yet, my wife, you know, one day I was talking to my wife, and she said to me, she said, Stephen, before we were getting married, she said, but I'm not like the other preacher's wives who sing and speak and teach. I said, honey, I'm not asking you to preach, sing, and teach. I said, I'll preach, sing, and teach. <laughs> I said, you just love me and my family. You just be my wife. You come alongside of me and love me, and you do the very thing that you do the best. And she is an amazing administrator, and she administrates everything for me. And I don't need a preacher. I don't need a singer. I don't need a teacher. I need somebody to hold me together administratively because I'd be a mess without my wife. And you come into my home, you watch my wife. One day you will be amazed at what my wife has been able to accomplish. She is legally deaf, and yet she's been able to accomplish so much in her lifetime. She's a genius, a whiz at administration, but not only that, she loves her kids and her granddaughter and her family and her home. She goes to work every single day. She comes home before she even puts her pocketbook down. She's in the kitchen cooking us a full course meal every single night. She does that. She takes care of my mother-in-law. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We love you, Mom. We love you, Mom. She, my mother-in-law lives with us, and my wife serves my mother-in-law, has been serving my mother-in-law for many, 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 many years. See, that's what it means to be committed to one another. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in-laws or outlaws. So, so, so in our hearts... We recognize the word of God says that divorce is not an option to the believer. Why? Right? Because Jesus 
confirmed it in Matthew chapter 19. He said the two will become one. And when God is joined together, let no man put asunder or separate. And marriage is, is only as strong as the terms of agreements. And so we know that children are deeply wounded through divorce. And I'm not trying to judge anybody. So Jesus tells us that God created marriage to be a lifelong covenant. When two people are married, they become one. And God joins them together. And the, the condition of marriage is that we come into a covenant. So let's for a moment, let's for a moment, let's review. Marriage is God's design. Marriage is God's definition. But number three, real quick as I... I bring this to a conclusion. I want you to write down 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I want you to make me a promise because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. But I want you to make me a promise that, that you will read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in the light of marriage and divorce. And if you want to know God's stance, the biblical definition and the biblical understanding of marriage and divorce, read 1 Corinthians 7. I'll, I'll, I'll unpackage it for you one day. I can't do it right now because I don't have time. But first, marriage is God's design. Secondly, God's definition. But number three, and most powerfully, listen to me. I want you to, want you to write this down. Marriage is God's display. Marriage is God's display. One of my favorite pastors and authors is John Piper. I love John Piper. I love his passion. I love his heart. I love his writings. One of the deepest preachers that I've ever read. And John Piper once wrote about marriage. The ultimate thing to see in the Bible about marriage is that it exists for God's glory. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully, please. The ultimate thing to see in the Bible about marriage is that it exists for God's glory. Most fundamentally, marriage is the doing of God. And most ultimately, marriage is the display of God. It is designed by God to display his glory in a way that no other event or institution does. It is designed by God to display his glory in a way that no other event or institution does. The way to see this most clearly is connected in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, with its use, listen to me, of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 to 32. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, God says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What kind of relationship is this? How are two people brought together? Can they walk away from this relationship? Can they go from one spouse to another spouse? Is this relationship rooted in romance, sexual desire, need for companionship, culturally convenient? What is this? What is this that holds it together? In Genesis chapter 2, Verse 24, the words are, hold fast to his wife. And the words, they shall become one flesh, point to something far deeper and more permanent than serial marriages or occasional adultery. 
What these words point to is its marriage is a sacred covenant rooted in covenant commandments that stand against every storm as long as we both shall live. But nothing explains it more clearly than Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And so if you were to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and I don't have a lot of time to do that, here's what you would see in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to me. Point number one. That Paul the Apostle says in Ephesians that a husband and a wife should serve one another out of reverence for Christ. That the first thing, the fundamental thing about marriage is that we are in the marriage not for ourselves, not for what we can get out of the marriage, but we are in a marriage to give to another person, to serve another person, serve one another out of reverence for Christ, that we don't enter into marriage with the understanding, what can I get out of my spouse? But we enter into marriage with what can I put into my spouse? What can I give my spouse? But then, but then because there has to be order in the family, God says, okay, now I'm going to put some order in the family. And when that gets messed up, everything gets messed up. And so what does he say? He says, wife, I want you to now come alongside of your husband and I want you to submit to your husband out of reverence for Christ. Obey and understand what he wants to do and follow his lead. Now listen to me. And then the Bible says in Ephesians, husbands, I want you, listen to me, to love your wife as Christ loves the church. He said, I want you to take care of your wife the way that Christ takes care of the church. I want you to sacrifice your life. I want you to actually come to the altar of sacrifice and say, Lord, there is nothing more important in my life than to make my wife happy in the Lord, to, to serve my wife, to love my wife, to protect my wife, to be there for my wife, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. I will do whatever it takes to make sure that I am protecting and loving and caring for my wife the way that Christ served the church. But then here's the interesting part of Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to me. But Paul says, but I'm, 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 I'm really not talking about marriage. Listen, this is powerful. Don't, let me, don't lose me now. Look at me. Look at me. He says, I'm really not talking about human marriage. He said right here. He said, what I'm really talking about is Christ and his church. He says, this is a great mystery. And so Paul the Apostle says, the only way that I can describe the glory of what Christ has done for us on the cross, the only way that I can describe the glory of the covenant that Christ entered into with you and I, the only way that I can explain covenant living, covenant relationship, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and sickness, and health, the only way that I can explain to you that there's somebody in your life that will never leave you nor forsake you when you go through the most difficult times in your life when you are the ugliest that you could be because of sin when you 
violate the principles of covenant relationship, when you feel bad about yourself, when you fall down and you fail and you fail miserably, when you commit spiritual adultery against me and my church and, and me and God, my Father, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm married to you and I will be committed to you for the rest of your life and beyond in all eternity. Covenant relationship. The Paul says the only way I can describe this is putting a marriage on display so that the world can see how a husband loves his wife so much, serves his wife so much, is there for his wife no matter what she's going through. The only way I can show the world my love for the world, my commitment to the church, is to put a marriage on display. The way that a wife just looks at her husband and doesn't disrespect her husband but honors her husband and loves her husband even when she disagrees with him, even when she's angry with him, she comes alongside and says, but, but this, is, this is my husband. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We are one. The way a husband looks at his wife and says, this is my bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And we are one. We are one. And nothing will ever come between us. It's the way that God wants us to see our relationship with him. And so this morning as the worship team comes, and those that are going to give out communion come, I waited till the end of the service to take communion. We usually take it during worship in the beginning. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week and said, no, we do communion at the end of the service. Because if there's one thing we see in scriptures, the one thing we see in the beauty of Judaism, in the beauty, you know, Judaism, in its very core, listen to me, look at me, Judaism, in its very core, when it is pure and undefiable, is the most beautiful religion in the world. Our Christianity is birthed out of Judaism. Now listen to me, look at me. And Jesus comes into a Jewish world, born of a Jewish mom, into a Jewish culture. Now look at me, listen to me, this is powerful. And Jesus understands Jewish culture. And in those days, you listening? In those days, when a young man when a young man falls in love with a young lady, the young man has to go to the, the young lady's house, the father's house, and sit down at the table out of respect. And when they're sitting at the table, listen to me, look at me. When they're sitting at the table, the father goes, gets a bottle of wine, or maybe gets a, a flask of wine, and he pours it into a cup. And the young man explains to the father 
want you to know that yes young man say what you have to say I want you to know that I like love your daughter okay young man anything else you have to say you know that there are some bodyguards watching everything that you're doing right now And I would like to spend the rest of my life with your daughter. And I covenant before you and the whole family that I will treat your daughter with respect and dignity. That I will love her for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health until death do us part. I'm making a covenant. And the father sits up a little bit more and says, what do you bring with you? Well, I, 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 I have a couple of c- c- cat cows. And some sh- 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 sheep. And, and I, I, I can provide for her very, very well. Okay, young man, do you have anything else you want to do and say? Yes. And he takes that glass of wine. And he pushes it to the other side of the table. And if the young lady, listen to me, if the young lady picks up the glass and drinks the wine, the young lady's saying, I'm willing to enter into an eternal covenant, a lifelong covenant with you. If she doesn't drink the wine, he's single a little longer. Now listen to me. And so when, he, when she takes that cup and she sips the wine, he jumps up and says, I'll be back. I'll be back. I'm going home now to make a place for you. Listen to me. I'm going home now to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you might be also. And so now the young man goes away And him and his father, they build a room off the house. They live together. (laughs) They build a room off to the house. And and I was in Israel. I saw this, where the actual family builds rooms off of rooms off of rooms. And Jesus says to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me. Believe also. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would tell you, but I go away to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you might be also. And so the young man goes home and his father and the young man build a room. They build a place for his wife. Then the father comes in and expects the room and says, it's ready, it's ready. Go get your bride, son. And the young man goes back without the wife even knowing that he's coming. And he comes into town. And when he comes into town, he comes in with an entourage. And everybody in the town begins to dance. And they say, the bridegroom is here. The bridegroom is here. The bridegroom is here. And she comes out of her house 
and walks down the aisle. And now that vow that they made a year ago or six months ago is now consummated. And the two become one flesh. And Jesus tells us that the bridegroom is gone away. But he's coming again. And if I leave you, I will come again for you. No man knows the hour or the day that the Son of Man will come. The last days, the kingdom of God is like ten virgins. Five were wise and five were foolish. And the bridegroom came and some were ready and some were not. And so on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he takes the bread, he becomes the Passover lamb, he takes the cup. Now, I want you to know, during Passover, listen to me, there were three different cups, I believe it was, maybe four, I'm not sure, but there were at least three cups. Three? Four. You're looking at me. You should know this. Scholar. And Jesus takes the third cup, and the third cup symbolizes the return of the Messiah. Listen to me. Jesus takes the third cup, and he lifts it up the return of the Messiah and he gives it to his disciples and he says take and eat and drink of this in remembrance of me and when he slid the cup over to his disciples he was saying to his disciples I'm making a covenant with you I'm entering into an eternal covenant with you and I will never leave you nor forsake you you now become my bride. I become your bridegroom. And I'm entering into a deep, unending, abiding covenant with you. Take and drink it. And so as we take communion and as the worship team just begins to play softly and, and you are given communion today. Communion then becomes, listen to me, a symbol of us and our bridegroom. It becomes a symbol of Jesus Christ's unending covenant with us. Now let me ask you a question as we take communion together. How many are you, of you here today, you're glad that when you take communion, every single time you take communion, it is actually a declaration from Jesus that he's going to stay with you, he's going to abide with you, he's going to forgive you, he's going to be unendingly devoted to you throughout all of eternity. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate communion. And so while we're here today, in the light of marriage, maybe your husband is not here today. Maybe your wife is not here today. Maybe, maybe you've gone through divorce and it's been so painful. And you think, how could I ever believe again? How could I ever trust again? Know this one thing, that the Christ who loves you is the Christ who redeems you and restores your hope in the greatest institution known to mankind, marriage. Or maybe you're a young couple and you've just gotten engaged. Or maybe you're thinking about getting engaged. Or maybe you're a single individual and you're thinking to yourself, will I ever enter into that kind of relationship? This element of communion gives us great hope, hallelujah, that if Jesus made us a promise, 
that he'll never leave us and forsake us. And if marriage becomes that reflection, then God will give us the grace to live out that which God has called us to do one day at a time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask if you're here today and you're a married couple or you're an engaged couple, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. If you're a married couple, an engaged couple, I want you to stand right now. to stand. Hmm. Wow. It's a beautiful sight. I want to pray for you right now. And then after I pray for you, if you're a married couple, I want you to take your communion element. And today, do you remember when you were married? Do you remember the day you were married? They had a cake, and you had to feed your husband the cake. And it was a sign of celebration. It was a sign that you did everything. You made a vow. You said the right words. You did the right thing. Now it's time to celebrate your relationship. I want you to take that piece of bread in a moment, and I want you to give it to your wife. No, you can't give it to me. You're not my wife. Tell you what. The second great relationship you can have in your life is a friend like these guys. A friend like these guys who do ministry with me the right way. In covenant relationship. Hallelujah. Man, I picked that up good. I want to pray for you married couples. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, for every married couple in this room, Lord, that you would keep them strong. Help them, Lord God, to be faithful to their covenants and their commitments. I pray for every engaged couple, Lord, that this message, Lord, would be the fuel of their marriage, Lord. And that they would recognize how vitally it is to know what your word says and live it out. But God bless them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Everybody else that's here, you're single, maybe you're divorced, I want you to stand. I want you to stand with me right now. I know this is an awkward moment. I get it. There's no way around it. But can you believe with me right now beyond what you see with your physical eyes today? Can you believe that God is a God that keeps his covenant? Can you believe today that God is a God that heals the brokenhearted, forgives those who have made mistakes? Can you believe that God has an incredible, wonderful plan for your life? And that Jesus Christ is the one who comes into a covenant relationship with you. If you can believe that with me today. I want you all in this room to say with me right now, Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me with an everlasting love. And I thank you that you never leave me and you never forsake me. Thank you, Lord, 
for your faithfulness. I celebrate our covenant, our union together in Jesus' name. Let us partake together. And in the same way, Jesus lifted up the third cup. And he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. Every time you drink of it, you remember that we are in covenant relationship with one another. Always be reminded of my love. Always be reminded of my faithfulness. Always be reminded of my commitment. Always be reminded of my covenant. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Let us partake together.